<coughs> Come on. All right, there we go. Apologize for being a couple minutes late. Welcome. This is Tower View Baptist Church. I'm a pastor, uh, chaplain, and Army Reserve chaplain at uh, Tower View Baptist Church, associate pastor, that is. And this is our Good Friday devotional, Good Friday sermon, if you if you so desire. Uh, find out more about our church, you go to uh, towerviewkc.com, obviously on our, web, our Facebook page at Tower View Baptist Church. Or you can call us at 816-368-1330, and that's a phone number, um, internet number that you can uh, call or you can uh, send a text message to. But I appreciate it, and, and thank you for your, your time and uh, listening to us tonight. So i got a question for you. This is Good Friday. But... How many of you have had plans in the last month that have been changed? How many of you have had plans that, you know, you, you, you planned perfectly. You did everything you're supposed to do and you did it all right. And then they got thwarted. The military has a complicated decision-making process called the military decision-making process, MDMP. And it's a very complicated, rigorous process to come up with plans, whether it's plans on just getting a bunch of equipment from point A to point B or combat plans. But they know all plans are subject to change once you make contact with the enemy. Our, our plans have been changed because of COVID-19. Pastors and I, Darren and Craig and, and our intern Taylor and I, we had plans for tonight, for Good Friday. And none of them included me standing here in the sanctuary all by myself talking to a camera. None of them included that plan. Our plans have changed. But you know what? God's plans don't change. They don't change because of COVID-19. God's plans don't change because of natural disasters, personal failures, enemy opposition, none of it. His plans do not have to be adjusted because of some unforeseen circumstances. God's plans for Jesus dying on the cross didn't change. They weren't just, well, we'll see what comes up and we'll see if that's the best options or not. These were God's plans from the beginning. God's plan was for Jesus to die as the Passover lamb for my sins. God's plan was for Jesus to die as the Passover lamb for your sins. Our plans have to be adjusted for the unknown. There's a military phrase called Semper Gumby. Yeah, Gumby, as in that character from Saturday Night Live many years ago. It means always be flexible because you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes it's the enemy. It's just sometimes we get in our own way, but you always got to be flexible. And right now the military is being Semper Gumby because of COVID-19, Army Reserves especially, because we can't actually meet in person. So we have to figure out other ways to do our, our mission. 
God doesn't need Semper Gumby. God is never surprised. He is not surprised by your reactions to your salvation. He is not surprised of a virus from China. He is not surprised by your job situation. God does not need to adjust his plans because of new information. God's perfect plan was carried out to perfection by Jesus and by Jesus' enemies also. So we're going to look tonight at your Bible, in your Bibles, to the Gospel of Matthew. And as we walk, we're going to walk through the Gospel of Matthew and looking at a few different verses about Jesus' plan. And we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. In chapter 9, it's still early in his ministry. It's just after the Sermon on the Mount. And some of the Pharisees are questioning Jesus. Is like, Jesus, why, don't your, why aren't your disciples spiritual enough? They're not fasting. Why don't they fast? And Jesus' reply to them in chapter 9, verse 15, is Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and they then they will fast. And so here Jesus is just using a, 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 the wedding as an illustration. People don't fast at a wedding reception. That is not a time for fasting. And Jesus, later, Jesus makes a point that he says a wedding, a wedding couple is kind of like, he uses as a spiritual picture, he says, I am the groom. Jesus is the groom. And the church, those of us who are Christians, the church is the bride. And he says the groom is going to be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And so this is just an illusion. He's alluding to the fact that he's going to die. He's going to be taken away. He didn't actually say that. But it's, one of, it's the first illusion that we have in the Gospel of Matthew for this. And he doesn't stop there. In just the very next chapter, in chapter 10, he's, in, in chapter 10, he is sending out the 12 disciples to go preach throughout Israel. And in it, he has some teachings as he prepares them. And one of the things he says in chapter, in, in chapter 10, verse 38 he says, and whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now we, in the 21st century America, we think of cross, we think of this thing that's right behind me here. A nice, clean piece of wood. It's been sanded down. It's been stained. We've got a light shining on it. We've got a nice uh, cloth hanging from it. And we, it's nice and clean and pretty. In fact, when I'm, you know, as a military chaplain, I wear these on my uniform. As a sign, as it's an insignia that tells others I am a Christian chaplain. But they're very nice. They're nice and shiny and metal. They're clean. We have crosses on our wall in the living room as a decoration. We wear them as a, on our T-shirt. Sometimes it's a piece of jewelry around your neck or some other your neck or earrings or something. And we've made it pretty. But in Jesus' day, if he said, take up your cross and follow me, the only people that took up a cross in Jesus' day were people on their way to their execution. And they carried their own cross. And the Romans didn't sand their cross down. It was a rough piece of wood. It wasn't painted. It wasn't stained. It was a bare piece of wood, and people died on it. 
a gruesome death. And so to take up your cross and follow me was to take up, you're going to walk the executioner's, the executionee's path. You're going to die. Be prepared to die for me. And so we don't think anything about a cross. But if I had a noose on a necklace, you'd think there's something wrong with me. If I carried a new, had a big noose on a T-shirt, you'd want to know what's wrong with me. In Jesus' day, that would have been the same illustration. Take up a mode of execution and follow me. And so here's Jesus saying, you're going to have to, you may die following me. And so while he didn't say he was going to go to the cross, he is pointing to the cross and saying, somebody's going to, you, you could die for me, for God, because of the cross. And so it was allusion to his going on the cross. He's like, well, is this all he makes is allusions to the cross? No, he doesn't. Flip a page or two over in chapter 12, in verse 38, he's talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees want to see a miracle. Hey, Jesus, show us a miracle. Prove that you are, you, you are a prophet. Prove that you really who you say you are. And Jesus didn't do miracles on command. That's not the way he worked. And so he answered them. He says, an evil and adulterous generation demand a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And so you think, well, was that really allusion to death? Yes, it was. And the Pharisees remembered it. Well, how do you know remembered it? How do I know he remembered it? Because after Jesus' death, go read the last part of the chapter 26 and 27 of Matthew 28. After Jesus' death, the Pharisees went up to Pilate and said, Hey, when he was alive, he said he was going to rise from the dead. He said he was going to be in the ground for three days, just like Jonah was. And they demanded that the Romans provide a guard on the tomb. And the Romans did. Because they remembered these words of Jesus, that he was going to rise again. Well, does he get any plainer? Yes, he does. He does get plainer. You flip over to chapter 16. And in chapter 16, Jesus asked the disciples, and they're all by themselves, and he says, Who do people say I am? And they reply, Elijah, some other prophets. And Peter makes his famous declarations. They said, Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And Jesus commends him for that. But then down in verse 21, Jesus goes on and he says, From then on, from then on. So this is not just the one thing. He starts teaching this multiple times. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised the third day. And be raised the third day. So he started telling us that quite plainly. I'm going to go there. I'm going to suffer. And here's where the people are going to make me suffer. And they're going to kill me. But I'm going to raise again on the third day. But you know what? That didn't go with Peter's plans. In verse 23, and Peter 
I'm sorry, 22. Peter told, took him aside and began to rebuke him and saying, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. Peter had a plan. And Peter's plan didn't include Jesus dying. Peter's plan would ju included Jesus conquering Jerusalem and becoming the ruler of Jerusalem and driving the Romans out of Israel. That was Peter's plan. But Jesus didn't need a campaign manager. He didn't need somebody to tell him what he needed to do so, so that more people would like him. God had a plan, and God's plan succeeded. Peter's plan failed. And Jesus had to rebuke Peter at that point and says, no, that's not where we're going. You're following Satan. Because Peter's plan wasn't the right plan. God's plan needed to succeed. In chapter 17, the very next one, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a mountain we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's up there. God speaks to them. They see Moses. They see Elijah. Great and wonderful thing. And then as they're coming down, Jesus tells them in verse 9, I tell you, whoever... I don't know. I flipped too many pages. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Until he is raised from the dead, until I am raised from the dead. Well, he can't be raised from the dead unless he dies. Once again, he said he's going to die. And so here, Peter, James, and John, Jesus is talking about his resurrection, not his death, but his resurrection. But a resurrection presumes that you died. And he tells them quite plainly. And a few verses later, Jesus has come down the mountain and all 12 disciples are together again. In verse uh, 22, and it says, As they were gathered together in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised up, and they were, and they were deeply distressed. Now Jesus adds a little bit more detail here. He says he will be betrayed. Somebody's going to be. He doesn't say who, doesn't say it's one of the 12 disciples. He just says somebody is going to betray him because God had a plan. He knew what was going to happen, and he knew nothing was going to thwart that plan. And he's letting the disciples know ahead of time so when the plan happens, they know it's from God. Jesus didn't have to say Semper Gumby. Jesus had a plan, he knew what it was. God's plan is not a sappy, happy plan. It's not about wealth, and it's not about health. Because he said he was going to suffer, he was going to die. But he was going to be raised up. But what are the disciples, What? how are the disciples dwelling on? They were deeply distressed. Why? Because they were thinking about him suffering, they were thinking about who's betraying him, and they were thinking about him dying. They ignored the fact that he said he's going to be resurrected, that he's going to come, he's going to be raised from the dead. They ignored that fact. Why? Well, it's ludicrous, right? If I said I was going to die in a horrible traffic accident and said, but don't worry, I'll come back to life, nobody's going to believe me because it's never been done before. And it hadn't been done in Jesus' day to come back from the dead on your own. And so they ignored it. They ignored it. They didn't comprehend it. They didn't understand it. But that wasn't the last time Jesus predicted this. As Jesus was nearing Jerusalem, 
he again spoke to the 12. This now in chapter 20. So flip over a couple more pages. In chapter 20, verse 17, while they were going up to Jerusalem, you always went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's on a hill. So wherever you're coming from, they always said you're going up to Jerusalem. While they were going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them on the way. So Jesus was walking. There's a large crowd. There was more than 12 disciples that followed Jesus all around. We know that. But we know there were other people that were just there in the area. So they followed him. They wanted to see a miracle. Maybe they wanted to be healed. They wanted a family member healed. Uh, they just wanted to hear his teachings. But he somehow got his 12 disciples off to the side while they were, maybe they were taking a break or something. And he said to them in verse 18, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. He'll be mocked. And so he has more detail here. He says now they're going to, they're going to condemn him to death. They talk, he's talking to himself in the third person. And then something, they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, who are the Gentiles? Gentiles are people who aren't Jews. Who are the ones in power in, in Jerusalem? It's the Romans. He's going to be handed over to the Romans. They're going to mock him. They're going to flog him. And you read through the gospel accounts of what happened. That's exactly what happened. They ridiculed him. They spit on him. They put the crown of thorns on him. They flogged him and crucified him. And now he finally mentions how he's going to die. He's going to die by crucifixion on a cross. Only the Romans crucified and they didn't crucify other Romans. They crucified foreigners. They crucified slaves and criminals. They didn't crucify their own people. And so he said how he's going to die. But he still says, and on the third day he will be raised. Now this is the third time he's plainly stated why, how he was going to die. What was going to happen when they got to Jerusalem. But he hasn't said why he's going to do this. Why is the purpose of all this? We get that in this still in the same chapter. Right after this, there's a discussion with, about who is going to be the greatest disciples. Who's going to be the number one disciple? Because they're all expecting Jesus to go in and, like Peter's plan, be a conquering hero. They keep forgetting. They keep ignoring this part. They think he's going to be a conquering hero. And so they're jockeying for position. Who's going to be number two in command? And Jesus said that the first, and in verse 27, whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave. And in verse 28, chapter 20, verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To give his life as a ransom. If you watch cop shows, you know what a ransom is. It's what you pay a kidnapper to get your, your, your family member back, the person you love back. But there's another use for a ransom. A ransom is what you paid a slave owner to free a slave, to redeem a slave. You could become a slave for many reasons. Your nation or your city could be conquered and you could become a slave. You become a slave because of you're in debt. There was no such thing as going to court and filing for bankruptcy. 
If you couldn't pay your debts, you became, you paid the debt personally. You became collateral and you became a slave. And so the person you were indebted to could make you work for them or they could sell you to somebody else. It didn't matter. You became a slave. But the only way to stop being a slave was either die or somebody would pay a ransom and redeem you so that you would no longer be a slave. And here's Jesus saying, I am the ransom. I am giving my life as a ransom. Well, why do we need a ransom? I'm not a slave. The disciples weren't slaves at the time. We're slaves. You go read through the book of book of Romans. You're a slave to sin. You were enslaved to sin. And Jesus paid the ransom so that you would no longer be a servant to sin, that you'd be a servant of the risen God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. And that's why he died on the cross. So he could be a ransom for many. So many of us have had our plans. Every one of us has had plans changed in the last month. Plans for school, plans for work, plans for recreation, plans for church. Everything has changed. No one is exempt. But God's plans aren't changed. Why do our plans get changed? Because we didn't see this coming. And even if we did know about COVID back in December, you still didn't see it coming to this extent. And so our plans changed because we don't know the future. Our plans change when a storm comes and knocks a tree into our house. Our plans change when there's a flat tire in your vehicle or your car just won't start anymore. Your plans change because we can't plan for all that stuff. We don't know when it's going to happen. If I knew I was going to have a flat tire, I would have made sure I didn't run over that screw that I did last week. If I knew where it was. But my plans changed because there was a flat tire. God's plans don't change because he knows the future. Nothing is a mystery to him. And so while our Good Friday is not as planned, God is still sovereign. He's still in control. And he's not surprised by any of this. So I pray that God's plans will be revealed to us so that we can serve him better. I pray that the kingdom of heaven would be made plain to you and to me. I pray that you will be used as a part of God's kingdom. Ask God to use you. Sometimes that means asking God to say, that first time he says, God, I want to follow you because my plans are useless. They fail every time. God's plans never fail. Sometimes Christian, you just got to say, God, I've been, I know I'm, I said I'm serving you, but I'm still just doing everything in my own strength. I need to follow you better. I need to follow you more wholeheartedly. So this evening, as we celebrate and as we mourn over our Savior's gruesome death, I pray that the Holy Spirit will make God's plans for your life plain to you. I pray that your you will work as a servant in, to God in God's kingdom. I pray that you will follow Jesus today by faith in his crucifixion and resurrection. I pray that you can rejoice in his resurrection as we prepare to celebrate that on Sunday.
Let me pray. Lord God, you're a mighty and a precious God. I thank you for all that you provide. I thank you that your, that your plans were not thwarted, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and that he gave me a way to salvation. You are the mighty God, Lord. Help us to turn to you in all things. Help us to turn to your word for strength. Help us to turn to you for prayer, in prayer, for comfort, and for wisdom. Help us to turn to your word for wisdom and for knowledge. Help us to glorify you by singing your songs, by worshiping together, by giving, by telling others about you and about your salvation. Rejoicing in creation as we see as we look outside. You are the mighty God, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Once again, I thank you for listening. I'm Associate Pastor Nelson Nisley at Tower View Baptist Church. You can find out more on our website at towerviewkc.com. You can see more of these videos on our Be Live or Go Live tab on that website. Check out our other things that are on our Facebook page. You can call or text us at our phone number. It'll be in the comments. I thank you for watching. I thank you for listening. I pray that you go with God tonight. Good night and God bless.